Oh, fuck, we are. <laughs> <laughs> just playing. Whatever. I'm just playing, man. How are you today, my friend? You have a good day? Yeah. Uh, can't even really think what happened, so couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> You're just on autopilot at work? <laughs> yep. Went to work, cleaned some stuff. Yeah. Hi ho, hi ho. Just cleaning shit. That's right. Yeah, I did that today, man. It was all right. Just did a lot of driving. I gotta drive a lot sometimes, man. It's nice. It's nice sometimes, but I don't know. Yeah, kind of wears you out a little bit. And my CD player in my car doesn't work anymore, so I have the radio. Fucking sucks, dude. <laughs> it's kind of hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes the CD player works and sometimes it doesn't. It's really random. I want to get... Uh, my car is crapping out, dude. I want to get one of those ones where you can, like, Bluetooth that shit. I got to get a new phone, too, speaking of which. <laughs> it doesn't even charge. I want to get, like, Spotify on there where you could stream music through your radio. That would be some shit. Yeah. Our boy Ralph has that. He just puts shit on Spotify. I'm like, God damn, this is the shit right here. What I'm missing out, man. No, the newer cars, they have some pretty convenient features for sure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have a 6-CD changer, which my car is like 15 years old. Back in the day, it's like, oh, you got 6-CD changer. Holy shit. Now it's like, what the hell do you have a 6-CD changer for? And it doesn't even work. <laughs> so, it's 15 years old? Uh, it was. It's an 06, so it's 13. I've had it for 12. Yeah, right? For a Jeep, that's not bad. It's not bad. I got 170,000 miles, though, and it's just like fucking... It's a money pit now, man. Right. I'm probably always going to stick with... Well, not always, but, you know, Toyota. I mean... They seem to last the longest. I rely... I definitely need reliability, because... I don't know much about cars, and I don't really care don't, to learn about them. I don't either. I have no so, interest. I go to the mechanic. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> it sounds like shit. What's uh, what's the problem? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Get in there and diagnose shit. I don't know. Be a doctor. Be a car doctor. Do your thing, man, because I'm not that guy. I'm not a, I'm right, not a guy. Is... I'm not a man when it comes to cars. I'm not a man's man. I don't know shit. The last time I changed my oil was like 15 years ago or something. Maybe more. Oh, it hasn't been changed at all? Or you no, haven't? I changed my... I haven't, though. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what, what's the problem? Why isn't it running great? <laughs> oil lasts 50,000 miles, right? <laughs> no, I get my oil changed, but I got to go to a man's man. I got to go do a dude with, like, oil all over him. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Right. I have my brother-in-law. Both brother-in-laws, actually. They both, yeah. They both know. Yeah, it's nice, to, it's nice to know people. It's nice to have people who know shit, and you can be like, yo, what's up? I don't know anything. Yes. Yeah. I know how to podcast. I don't know how that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how, um, useful, useful that is. Look at this truck. There's so much work going on up here in paradise. There's so many freaking trucks and tractors and it can be annoying, but it's nice to see. I mean, you have to, you know, give yourself an extra 10 minutes when you go to work, even in paradise. But yeah. They but stuff bit. is getting cleaned up. They got a lot to clean up, though. Yeah. You can actually see some uh, some changes. Like they're cleaning shit up. I don't come up here enough to know. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, like uh, La Comida. Um, it's your place. <laughs> <laughs> you love those burritos that give you the shits. <laughs> it It's definitely... Uh, it's objectively bad food, but... Yeah, um, it's, it's not great. But, uh, you know, it was a tradition. We went there after church yeah. every Sunday. They got it all cleaned up so. in there. That it's, whole downtown area is fucked, though. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gnarly. I mean, it wasn't much of a downtown anyway, but yeah. 
But now it's quiet. That truck passed by. It's pretty up here when when you're not focused on the rubble. Yeah, it's especially uh, it was nice to see uh, green Some pop greenery. up for for a springtime. Yeah, like, it's been a nice spring. Short though. It's already starting to get hot as fuck. Uh, yeah, it's almost hitting ninety. Almost. Yeah, yeah. None of that global warming though, right? Yeah. <laughs> So let's see. What do we have today? We have some Canadian whiskey. Oh, Canada. We got some Pendleton. You got some Pendleton for us. <clears throat> but it says Hood River Distilleries. Hood River, that's in Oregon, right? Yeah. It says Pendleton, Oregon. Oh, nice. Yeah. Home of one of the most respected rodeos in the country. We dedicate this whiskey to the men and women of Bronc riding sport and those who love them. So this is from... Uh, it's from Oregon, but it's a product of Canada, so I don't know what that means, but uh, some blended Canadian whiskey. What are your thoughts on it? It's pretty decent, right? Decent kind of heat, neither here nor there. I honestly kinda didn't for- really notice anything. It's kind of forgettable. Yeah. Doesn't It just it tastes like the most um, run-of-the-mill whiskey of all time. Maybe like a Tullamore Dew, like just... Mm-hmm. Not to, It's not bad. Uh, I mean, considering that, it might be a little overpriced. You have to pay a pretty penny for it. Uh, I mean, it's right at the $25 mark, something like that. You can't get much cheaper than that unless you go with bean. Uh, yeah, or uh, black velvet. <laughs> black velvet. Oh, I don't even buy that shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, when, <laughs> that's when all of our Patreon subscribers dry up and we're like, fuck. <laughs> Today is brought to you by black velvet. <laughs> It's probably yeah. not going to be a very good podcast. No, it's going to be so. a shitty podcast. <laughs> and I blame I blame the whiskey. But uh, <laughs> today we have Pendleton's, so it'll be a it'll be an average podcast. It'll be a solid podcast, <laughs> but sort of forgettable. <laughs> no, hopefully not. But uh, speaking of Patreon, man, we had our first on location. What do you think? We we uh, we went to your spot, the Potato Patch Campground in the Lassen National Forest, and that was my first time being there. I've driven through. But it was chill, man. I loved it. The fucking... Yeah, it's just plain beautiful. Ah, it's so beautiful. The Deer Creek. Uh, it wasn't a creek, though. It was a fucking river with all the rain we've had. I think it should have been upgraded, yeah. Yeah. It was so pretty. And you could hear it roaring in the background. And all that. They got... The, I think it's granite. Granite rocks. And those huge-ass rocks. And just the rivers coming down. It was... Uh, yeah. It was blissful. But as we mentioned on the uh, On Location episode, it wasn't the best spot. Because no one had been raking. <laughs> the forest floor had some leaves on it. And I was right. just... You and I were both a little concerned that um, a forest fire was just going to start taking off. Because... No, I, I wouldn't have thought about it. But, yeah, Trump makes a good point. Um, yeah, your boy. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, he makes a good point. If we just start raking shit, that would be the, the, the solution to all of our problems. At least out west. Yep. At least out west, where forest fires are uh, pretty prevalent. But no, that was fun. So if you want those on-location episodes, you have to subscribe on patreon.com slash sessions, And for only $5 a month, you get a special bonus podcast. And uh, I don't know what our next one is going to be, but I think in, what, in July or August, right about the time this episode's coming out, we're going to be up in... Uh, what is it? Gold Bluffs Beach? Yeah. The, uh, Northern near California Eureka. coast. Yeah. yeah. Nor- Between Eureka and Crescent City. That's the shit, though. 
If you ever get a chance to go up to Northern California, you want to go camping on the coast. Yeah. It's the most beautiful spot, dude. I couldn't, we went there two years ago. Now we're going to go back and, uh, it's so pretty. And, uh, they have that, what's that hike we did? Uh, like Fern Valley, Fern Gully. Fern. <laughs> Is that the, no, that's the movie. Fern Gulch. Uh, Fern Gulch. <laughs> Dude, it's Possibly, like, yeah. yeah, it's like you're in an enchanted forest. There's uh, redwoods and ferns everywhere, and it's like, oh my god, it's so pretty. I'm not sure if that, if that's specifically where uh, Return of the Jedi was filmed. Oh, did but, it? Maybe? Uh, definitely in that type of redwood forest. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah I expected some Ewoks to come out and <laughs> trap us in a net. Mm-hmm. No, that was pretty, mm-hmm. that hike was pretty, <laughs> and... Uh, it's, uh, the beach is just, I mean, the only negative is the, the wind. I mean, it gets pretty gnarly up there on the North coast yeah. and Oregon coast, but if you get a spot that's set back a little bit, it's not quite as bad, right? No, we were out of the wind a little bit, but if yeah. you go down to the beach, um, I would say I haven't traveled too much, but, uh, the only other coast that is as pretty as Northern California and Oregon is Maine. You ever been out there? No. Oh my God. We did the, um, when Lindsay and I lived in Rhode Island, we drove up in the fall to, uh, where the fuck was it? Bar Harbor, Maine. You can get like a lobster dinner. You don't like fish, but you can get a lobster dinner for like 20 bucks, dude. And then we drove down the coast, Highway 1. Think of Highway 1 in California. It's right along the coast. And we drove all the way back down through Boston and then down into, uh, back into Providence where we lived. Oh my God. The colors were so pretty. I would say, I would say it was the best coast ever. Oregon, Oregon's my second favorite, a close second. So Maine, Oregon, then Northern California. Then, yeah, Northern California, Oregon looks similar. Um, right. The uh, you ever been to Big Sur, down uh, south of Santa Cruz, Monterey area? That's pretty. Too. I don't remember it if I have. It's really pretty. I would say it's not quite as striking as either Oregon or Maine, but both are pretty good. Hmm. But yeah, that'll be our. Um, I guess probably. Yeah, we'll be doing that about the time this episode comes out in July. And, uh, yeah, if you want to subscribe, please do. Um, but if you don't, here we are. Free shit once a week, hour and a half of whatever we're going to talk about. What are we going to talk about today? Well, you, you sent me a couple options. A couple I, options, I, yeah. I think we decided on salvation, right? Yeah, it seems like a good one. We haven't talked about salvation yet on the show. And, uh, you know, salvation is a good one to talk about. It's very important in, um, Christian circles where we came from. (laughs) Definitely, you know, it's evangelical circles. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. But I think even out of that context, it's important, but I guess it depends on, uh, what do we mean when we're talking about salvation? I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, in evangelical circles, it was like being saved from hell being saved from eternal torment and that was like the end all be all but for me at least and you can tell me if this is different for you but i didn't feel any different like when i was fought you know i gave my heart to jesus quote unquote or i was going to church all the time so i was quote unquote saved but i didn't feel like there was any like practical change or there it didn't it didn't affect me practically in the here and now in the moment uh well it didn't for me because i grew up a christian and i was always 
I don't remember, uh, you know, when I said the magic prayer. I think I did it before I could remember, you know, if you want to say that. But so there's no reason why my life would have changed. Um, no, I guess that's probably true for me, too. As far back as I can remember, I was a Christian. I got, I think I got baptized when I was nine. Um, I think I was uh, a Christian before that, whatever that meant. <laughs> well, right. I think I got, I got baptized when I was uh, 12, 13, 13, like that. But I would yeah. have always considered myself saved before that. Sure. I don't. Yeah, no, I guess that's a good point. So there's nothing to compare it to. I mean, I felt like I was saved, but, you know, then I, there were times when I wasn't quite sure. Like, yeah, my times of not feeling saved was probably more often than not. But I, I guess uh, it's important to clarify, um, at least for me, like what what that means. And when you um, when you look at like what the biblical uh, understanding of salvation means, or at least like if if you go to um, biblical Greek, I think it's sozo is the uh, is the word that we get for salvation or saved. And when I first started researching this, it was interesting to learn that it means more something to the effect of like being healed or made whole. And that's when it really struck me as like, when I was an evangelical, I never, I never felt healed or whole. I felt as anxious, I mean, anxious, depressed, angry, um, retributive. Like if someone talk shit about me. I wanted to kick their ass or something. Like I didn't, you know, it, it, yeah. I didn't feel made whole. I, I had a huge ego. I was, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's really good. You could, you could take the concept of being made whole. And I think apply that to any religion that you want really. But the, uh, concept of being safe from eternal conscious torment is very specific. Well, well, it's Christianity. Um, uh, well, Islam. I mean, there's oh, right, okay. I mean, so there's uh, there's other traditions with eternal torment in them, right? Um, right. But specifically to the Western Christian um, model, I guess maybe even Eastern Orthodox. I mean, some of them believe in eternal torment, <laughs> but it just seems like a weird thing to. Um, kind of seems like a cruel game if you're talking about like salvation like you're saved from something that god himself or herself created or allowed to happen that just seems like a weird thing like the way i see it maybe this is a straw man but this is how i felt (laughs) and sometimes still feel it's like okay so you're gonna save me from what you're gonna do to me or allow to be done to me like that (laughs) <laughs> that seems really odd. Like I wouldn't shut I wouldn't like kick my daughter into the pool before she could swim and be like, if you only ask, I'll save you. It's like save me from what you did. Like that's that's a weird understanding of salvation, I guess. It's a very Well, it's weird because you could have there's no reason why you can have created a universe to not be like that. I mean, if if you're an all-powerful god, you can create i mean the quote-unquote rules you know god could yeah it's logically possible and i would say it's the reality is that god didn't create that to be the situation it just seems like if um if god could create a situation where eternal torment isn't on the table like why wouldn't god like 
seems like a much better. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, he wouldn't if he weren't a good God. I mean, there's no reason why God necessarily has to be good by our definition of good. I guess not. Or nice. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say God's nice. I don't know if that's the best descriptor, but um, it seems like if it's possible, logically possible for God to create a situation in which that's not an issue, but you can still have meaning in life, things are still important, then why wouldn't God do that? Um, it seems kind of absurd that it's like, oh, but I'm going to make this the most high stakes game imaginable. I mean, there's there's no... Oh, you got a neighbor over here. So many people. All right. At least it's cool today. I love hollering at people walking across the street. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, it seems like... Uh, that's right. I don't know what he said. I just yelled, that's right. <laughs> anyway. God, where was I going before that guy walked by? It doesn't make sense. I it swear, I was it, paying attention. I was paying attention, too. That's how, that's how quick it could go when uh, you're in the midst of uh, people cruising by, people talking to you. <laughs> it, it just seems like if God... If God could create a situation in which that's not on the table, why would God create that? Like, what is the point of being saved from hell? Like, I would want to ask, why Why did you create it in the first place? Like, that just seems absurd. I think I would have said um, in my former life, you know, to prove that you love God. I mean... That you're going to choose him over hell? But, see, doesn't that kind well, of backfire on you, though? Like, it, like it's kind of like there's a gun to your head and tell me you love me. It doesn't be like, oh, Mike loves me because when I held a gun to his head, he said he loves me. It's like, mm. I know. And exactly. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I see the absurdity in it now, but for some reason I didn't notice it back then. Yeah. Or I did, but I was just too afraid to uh, question it. I think that's what traps you is fear. Yeah. I mean, fear will cause you to do irrational things or believe irrational things. So it's like you're too close to the situation. You're too much in that fight or flight uh, mechanism. So um, you just, of course, you're going to. And that's why I say in, um, in, the, in spring, in our, in our first booklet that's going to come out next year, it's that I, I did what any rational child would do. I would try to get out of a bad situation. Like I would, oh, Jesus is, is the rescue mission. You just have to believe Jesus and you won't have to go to this really, really bad place that I just told you about. And you're like, yeah, okay, what do I do? Uh, believe, pray a prayer, go get baptized, dunked under water, and now I'm good? Okay, good, I'll do that. <clears throat> I mean, it seems the most. No, I mean, if you have if you have hell on one end of the scales, yeah, of course, anything by comparison, you'll be willing to do. I mean, yeah, to escape right. that. Right, but that doesn't prove that you love Jesus. Like to me, it's like if, if you would choose Jesus just on his own merits. Like Jesus would stand on his own two feet. And you don't have to have an eternal ultimatum to choose. You'd just be like, I want to follow that person or Buddha or whatever without a threat of something. Like I would choose my wife on her own merits, not because, well, if you don't, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> like, no, I choose you because I want to, because this is what I want to do. So the same thing should go for Jesus, right? You shouldn't have to, if you took away hell and someone's like, well, if you take away hell, there's no reason to follow Jesus. I would say, right. so Jesus is not enough 
just to follow regardless full stop well it's it seems like it seems like if jesus is saving you from this terrible situation mm-hmm. it seems like that would prove his love more or at least that's what well actually i don't know we can talk about it i there's no reason why jesus couldn't show that he loved you out of the context of eternal conscious torment like oh sure there's yeah. no reason why he can't still send you flowers and <laughs> come to your birthday or whatever <laughs> yeah no i i wouldn't think that necessarily discredits jesus per se like if he was really coming to save you from eternal torment i guess i would just want to take a step back and say to the people who say that if you don't have a hell, Jesus isn't worth following, I would say, well, no, Jesus just seems worth following regardless of what the afterlife is. It just seems like a good way to be a human, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't, dis- I wouldn't discredit the people who follow Jesus who still believe in hell and say that they don't love Jesus or that they don't find him valuable. But it just seems kind of an absurd notion to say that there has to be a hell in order to follow Jesus. And there are a lot of people who say that. That's why it's the first, in my book, Heretic, it's the first question I discuss. You know, like all ten of the chapters are responding to different rebuttals or retorts that people have to what I believe. And that's my first one is because people will say, well, if there's no hell, there's no point in following Jesus. And to my mind, it just seems like following Jesus is worth it based on the fruits that you have in your life now. I would I would take it a step further and say that the Buddhist who truly follows Buddha's path or Buddha's teachings follows them because it's self-evident why you would. The fruit of your life is um, fruitful. <laughs> well, um, if you live your life by loving your neighbor as yourself, yeah, yeah, you'll see, of course, that's a good thing to do. Right. Uh, so that's why, um, to me, salvation, even in the Christian sense or in the Christian context, doesn't necessarily have to come be- after Jesus' death. Like, I think, I think you can find salvation in what Jesus was teaching prior to his death. Like, you could have experienced salvation, the kingdom of heaven. He was teaching the kingdom of heaven before he died. It was now. It was in your midst. It was within you. Um, I think the death of Jesus sheds light on things, that's for sure. But I think salvation or being made whole, you can experience being made whole or healed by following a figure like Jesus, even if he didn't, even if there's no cross. You know what I mean? Like he was preaching the good news before he died, during his life. That was what a lot of his three years was all about. It was about other things and warning them of what's going to happen if they continue and what Rome's going to do to them and all that kind of stuff. But he was certainly teaching a way to live now that would bring salvation, (laughs) healing Mm -hmm. um, to people now, regardless of his future death it sounds kind of silly to say but you can use like i'm thankful from being saved from just doing stupid stuff i mean basically uh yeah learning to love your neighbor as yourself um 
learning how to love your wife, your friend, you know, a lot of the times you just do stupid stuff in relationships. And, uh, well, I think that goes back to like your ego or your selfish nature, like your false, false eye. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's what a lot of Jesus was preaching against. But I think maybe even more so in Buddhism. I think that's more of an emphasis in Buddhism, like getting rid of the ego, getting rid of the, um, you know, the non-self, the false eye, the false... Um, maybe it's more practical in Buddhism because Jesus had a very specific socioeconomic and political context that maybe Buddhism, it certainly has that to some degree, but I think Jesus, Jesus's life was much more very second temple Jewish occupied Roman territory. Like it was very specific to that time and place, but also transcended that time and place. But maybe you're right when you say that Buddhism is more practical (laughs) in the day-to-day now. Um, I mean, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but I certainly see the merit in that. It seems like meditation is a very practical way of shutting down your thoughts. I mean, mean, but practically speaking, if, if you're not thinking about anything, there's no ego in that present moment. Yeah, that's what you do realize that. It's hard to realize that, though. Because even when you're in that present moment meditating, your ego starts to take over. Right. I mean, it starts... But ever, I would say ever so briefly, you you, you kill the <laughs> ego. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's why all the practice. So much practice. <laughs> it's a lot, man. It's a lot of practice. I think Jesus was a lot of practice, too. I think he was practicing a lot more than we practice. There's all these passages I, of like I just got to assume. Jesus yeah. like going off to pray by himself or going into the wilderness or going into the woods and being alone. And uh, there's a lot of those passages that um, we kind of gloss over, but then you realize like how practical it would have been for him in that context. Like, how do I get alone with the universe, God, the cosmos, the father um, to really just sit and meditate and I don't know what Jesus was doing out in the desert, but uh, I imagine a lot of sitting and, and quote-unquote listening. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to think he was, you know, counting his breaths. And out <laughs> he to, might have to, been. Until 10. <laughs> Do you think he went to the East in the uh, the so-called like silent years or whatever? I honestly have no idea. I don't either. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of... Um, not a lot of evidence for that. I think it's fun to speculate, but I think Jamal and if Jamal, I love you, but if I'm misquoting you, forgive me. I think Jamal might believe that he went to the East, but I would be more inclined to hi, Sperry. How are you? Say hi. No, we're starting a little early. Love you. (laughs) Sperry Machuga, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Go Sharks, right? Game three. God, hopefully by the time this comes out, the Sharks will have won the Stanley Cup. That would be awesome. awesome. I've been waiting forever for it. (laughs) Yeah, my first game was 92. I think. Did they come out? So my first game was 94. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long, it's a long ride. 
I've experienced no salvation from the sharks. <laughs> so, ah, oh, man. Second, second interruption. Now I lost my train of thought again. Uh, Move on to talking about something else. Should we talk about Trump? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's just, it's, it's interesting how, um, I think we've gotten so far removed from what salvation would have meant at the start of like Christianity or during Jesus' life or salvation to a Jew. Like we've just made it so, um, I don't know. Well, I, I don't think it wasn't so much about the next life back then, was they it? They didn't really give a shit about that. <clears throat> Some Jews believed in the afterlife. I mean, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't necessarily talking about what happened after you died. No, no. I think um, it could have had maybe some double layers of meaning, but I think for the most part, it was about now and present. And even in Judaism at large, like um, like we've said before, you can't say the Jews believed or... This is what they believed in Jesus' day. But it was certainly a much different focus than what our focus is now. And we've gotten we've gotten to a place where we've put everything we say about Jesus into the afterlife. Heaven, hell, the kingdom of God, salvation, atonement, you know, all these um things that we say about Jesus and theology. We've almost just put everything to the afterlife. And I guess a big part of like my last couple of years in like thinking about Jesus and talking about Jesus is more like how, how does Jesus affect me now? Like, I'm not so worried about the afterlife. I certainly believe all will be well. And I'm a universalist of sorts, whatever that means. <laughs> I'm not that concerned of how it works out. Um, even though I have my ideas, but it's more of like, well, if Jesus was a human being or the true human being, son of man, which is what he would call himself. That was his favorite designation. Like how, how would that affect me today, tomorrow, when I go home, talk to my wife, talk to my kid, raising my kids, um, meeting the homeless person on, on a Tuesday, you know, like all these really practical things we've made it so impractical just putting everything when it, after we take our last breath what happens now it's like well everything else becomes moot right it's whether you're saved or not whether you prayed the prayer whether you gave your heart to the lord i'm much more concerned with the day-to-day -day. and the afterlife will work itself out and i trust that god is good and all will be well so we're good <laughs> so how can i live now that's funny. I was thinking about it the other day. It was kind of d disconcerting, but I realized how how little I actually thought about Jesus. Um, you don't think about him very often. <clears throat> Sorry, Jesus. I'm only gonna, only in the negative you. way, I guess. Um, oh, how so? The way that he's been spun by the oh, uh, yeah. place I attend. Um, yeah. I think he'll forgive you for that and be like, yo, Mike, you know that shit wasn't true, right? But seriously, are we are we meant to think about the person of Jesus throughout our day? I mean, is, is he supposed to be a, an object of thought or 
No, I don't think people are supposed to create an idol out of Jesus. Um, I think Jesus would be more concerned in, in how, not that you're thinking about him, but how you're treating your fellow human, how you're living your life. Um, whether you're actually living, whether you're present, whether you're giving, whether you're empathetic and compassionate to people. I honestly don't think, and maybe I'm wrong. And Jesus, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Jesus would give two shits about what we thought about him specifically and the metaphysics of what he is more so than how we love your neighbor and your enemy. And if you're forgiving and gracious and compassionate, I think at the end of the day, Jesus would be like, all right, you didn't get the metaphysics right and you didn't give a shit about it, but you, <laughs> you were loving and caring and not selfish and you're good. Come, let's go have a drink and talk about shit. That's what I think Jesus would really care about. I don't think we're ever really going to have a conversation like that though. Like you and you and our boy Jesus. No, no. Like, did you ever get told by somebody at the church that, um, on judgment day or something like mm -hmm. that, your whole life will be will be played on oh, of screen course. for everybody to see. Oh God, and yeah. To judge you for yeah, that's fucking terrifying. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> the shit I've done. So I really don't think it's going to be like that. No, I don't think it. I don't think, and I don't like even that. think there will ever be a conversation. Like I think, I think you'll instantly just know that you messed up in these certain ways, and you don't really need to be told about it. You'll just know. Yeah. And maybe maybe that will be quote unquote Jesus talking to you. I would want to hang out with Jesus though at the Green Dragon and have a drink. <laughs> and I would be like, hey, and he'd be like, Matt, you didn't get a drink? And I'd be like, no, I got water. You're here. I thought you were going to turn this shit into some shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to see a magic trick. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking around. But I would like to, uh, I don't know. I think we've said it before a couple times. Like, I just want that wink. I just want to, like, walk into heaven da, 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 and be like, oh, it's Jesus. And he looks over. He's like, oh, it's my boy, Matt. And just a wink. Like, what's up, dog? You read my book? You liked it a little bit? Okay. Some, <laughs> we're or, good. Yeah, or some sort of knowing nod. Yeah. Yeah, just a, yeah. hey, go do your thing, man. We're good. Just a nod. Just a nod. Jesus will accept my friend request. Maybe not everyone's. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Maybe that's selfish. Maybe that's the ego. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's all speculative. The whole afterlife is speculative. I mean, the the concrete reality is is this. What this is. Whatever this is. Now. Like, you're here. I'm here. We're doing this thing. This is what's real. And I'm not saying that our existence... I don't believe our existence or our um, consciousness or experience our experiences end after we, our bodies die. I don't necessarily think that. I just don't think that needs to be our focus. Well, I think there's some evidence to suggest what it will, what it will be like, you know, through your near death experiences. Um, some of the stories are crazy, man. And you have, you know, some consistent narratives, um, people pulling out of their body and, right. uh, getting an overwhelming sense of peace, peace, uh, love, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's all cool. I like that. But I still don't think, I don't think that was either Buddha's or Christ's emphasis. It might've oh, been secondary. Sure. There might've been some double meanings. I think when, um, 
when Jesus is asked about the res because the uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection because it wasn't literally explicit in Torah, and Jesus has this um, I think kind of brilliant retort about um, that the Father is the God of Abraham and Isaac who have died who have died, but he speaks about them in like the present tense as if they're not. So I, I think he's being really creative yeah, about cool. yeah yeah about his interpretation of Torah um, and his. Uh, deeper knowing maybe. And so I, I do think that Jesus addresses those sort of things and, and did believe that life goes on after our bodily death. But I still think the majority of his teachings is for practicality purposes in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be a hint like that. If he wasn't, you know, running after people in the streets, trying to save them for the afterlife, I mean, it's, I guess everything is going to be okay. Like, <laughs> I, I think he believed that. And you don't see any, like in Acts, in the book of Acts, you never see them preaching a hellfire sermon. Mm -hmm. You never hear them preaching about hell. It's like, okay, well, maybe that's not the focus. I think the resurrection is important. I think that um, that helps us live as if death is not. And I think that's important. And I still, as liberal as I uh, am, or people think I am, I still believe in a resurrection of the body. I'm not sure what that means, and I don't... No, it's definitely... Well, I, I would say it's definitely an important part of what happens with Jesus. Sure. Um, I mean, if you don't have that... Well, Paul would say that the whole thing's bullshit, maybe. But <laughs> without the resurrection, it's all... We're all, you know... It's kind of worthless or pointless, Um I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Um, well, do you don't think the Bible could have, couldn't have been written so that uh, Jesus died and he never explicitly came back from the dead, but that doesn't negate what he said before, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's no life after death. No, I would say if the Bible wasn't explicit about the resurrection, I think we could still affirm that life goes on, but... I just, I still, there's something about the resurrection that I still feel is correct. I don't know. I have no, I, I mean, I have no great way to put it. I just affirm it. I trust it that in some way. That, I mean, that it literally happened to Jesus or that. Uh, um, that it literally happened to Jesus. Therefore, it literally happened to everyone. I'm not sure what that means. I, I I don't I don't know. I don't think about it a lot. It's just one of those things that's sort of in the um in in the background of my mind and heart that I feel is true, and maybe it helps save me in some way. I certainly don't fear death like we've talked about before. Like I fear leaving people behind if I died early or the pain before mm. death. But I, I don't, fear dying. I don't fear death. Exactly. Yeah, that's a perfect way of put it. Uh, to put it. Um, but even without that, I would still say there's value in what Jesus taught. And um, it's liberating. Oh, I just, I just <laughs> spit all over my screen. Jeez, I'm so unprofessional. Uh, it's liberating. It's a liberating way to live. Um, I have found that, let me, let me give you an example. Like, uh, my dad was not there for me. He was a pretty shitty dad. If I was like him, I would, I would have a lot of regrets being a dad myself and I held a lot of resentment and um, pain and trauma in my being 
throughout my teenage and 20s um, and then was able to forgive him maybe in my early 30s as if he had never done it. And now I just, I feel healed or made whole <laughs> in the Greek, the Greek sense of the word salvation. And whether our lives go on past our bodily deaths or not, that has been salvific to be able to forgive, to be able to show grace to someone who I cannot comprehend um, just abandoning a child and being like, I don't want anything to do with you. As a, as a father myself, I, I could never imagine doing that. Um, but at the same time, being able to forgive someone, no matter what happens in the afterlife now, is salvific. It's healing. <clears throat> it's it, And even if it's not healing to the person, my dad, and he doesn't know I've forgiven him because he won't talk to me, but for me, it's been salvific. Right, and I think that kind of brings up the question of what what are you saved for? I mean, there's a question, mm. what are you saved from? There is that. But then what are you saved for? And uh, Which are two different questions and two different answers probably, right? Right. Right. So for the first one, I would say, if nothing else, you're saved from yourself. <laughs> That's definitely one. From your ego. From your ego. Um, right. And just sin generally. Yeah. Which raises the question, what is sin? <laughs> um, well, I, I like the answer from our from our book, from our yeah, first book. Right. Uh, sin is anything that uh, keeps you at odds with uh, whatever relationship that you're in. Uh, yeah. Something that subverts the shalom of that relationship or the peace of God. Or yeah, People like to use miss the mark. And then they list they list a bunch of things that are the mark, and it's like, eh. miss the mark is, I guess, technically the uh, I don't know the most literal translation. Um, but that again raises the question: What's the mark? And it's hmm. to me, it's mm -hmm. not a bunch of do's and do nots or holiness codes. It's more of you're missing the mark of what it means to live in a loving relationship with with others. And you're probably missing the mark if you're using the language of missing the mark. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an interesting one to explore. It's uh, just living in a world of criteria <laughs> rather than living in a world of uh, relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where we, um, where we miss the mark <laughs> the most in Christianity is um, it's almost as if uh, relationship is secondary to maybe certain acts or certain behaviors or certain things like that. We certainly talk about relationship a lot in the church, but I think the first and foremost thing we focus on is, I mean, if we talked about sin, we'll list some sins. The first place someone wouldn't go to is like, well, the breaking of relationship, gossip, or maligning someone else or not being reconciliatory in your orientation towards those you engage with. Like, no, that wouldn't be the, <coughs> excuse me, that wouldn't be like the first thing we'd go. We'd be like, well, what are your sins? I'd be like, well, if I'm 16, I'd be like, well, looking at porn. Um, <laughs> the, all these like, um, certain behaviors or acts. And it's like, we're almost putting the cart before the horse. Like those acts in, in and of themselves maybe are a, um, Hmm, a byproduct of something 
Like there's a yeah. deeper. Uh, it's symptomatic. It's yeah, symptomatic. Yeah. It's treating the symptom rather than the underlying disease or something. Right. I mean, I guess would we be assuming then that if you had a perfect relationship that you wouldn't be doing these other things? Hmm. I think, yeah. Or just less. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, less. But we would look at, like, um, masturbation. We just talked about this on the, well, I guess by the time this comes out, it'll be a couple months ago. We talked about uh, masturbation on the Heretic Happy Hour. And a question we had was about, like, um, someone who masturbates even in a healthy relationship. And it was like, well, we're just focusing on that one thing because we say masturbation is a sin rather than, like, well... Maybe the relationship is just fine. Maybe you just have a higher sexual drive and you need to masturbate and your spouse hmm. doesn't need those things. Like, Or your spouse is on vacation or... Sure. Or at <laughs> work. you supposed to suffer the entire <laughs> Right. And you're trying to write and you're like, oh, I got to beat off before I write. Like, <laughs> Maybe that has nothing to do with the relationship. But we'd always, in the church, we're like, we get so pigeonholed into what a relationship looks like what behavior looks like and everything becomes so pigeonholed that it's like anything that deviates from that um, Christian normative is deemed sinful. And it's like, well, no, maybe, maybe someone masturbates and it's not sinful. It's not an issue. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the relationship no. one way or the other. No, I'll just be totally up front. Like my wife knows I masturbate. She like makes jokes about it. And it's like <laughs> when we have a great relationship, obviously it's not, um, it's not an go. issue for us. It may be an issue for some people. I'm not saying I wouldn't go so far and swing the pendulum too far and say, this should be normative for everyone. Maybe your context is different. Maybe you have a different relationship, but that's why we're looking, uh, we, we've, we've missed the mark of what it means to be a human being, what it means to be saved, what it means to be healed, what it means to be, uh, made whole. And we're just looking at like certain behaviors that have to fit in every single, every single aspect of life. And your life has to look like this. And your life has to look like this. And my life needs to look like this. Instead of looking relationally yeah. and saying, maybe your life looks different. Maybe you can have yes. a drink and I can't because I'm an alcoholic or something. Maybe you're an alcoholic and I'm drinking whiskey and I'm good. Okay, that doesn't work for you then. But this is the relational aspect of it, not necessarily the behavior you're doing. Right. Fucking mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, I haven't gotten any yet. That's yeah, I haven't right. gotten any. I've gotten like three. Yeah. I don't know what it is, man. There's something sweet in my blood. Or maybe you have a disease or something. They're like, fuck this guy. <laughs> well, I probably do have a disease. but <laughs> oh, I know I have one. Oh, well, sorry. I, I know I do have one. Yeah, you do. But beyond that one, I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? That's funny that we both have a GI disease. I think that adds to the, uh, I don't know if it's coincidence that, that we're best friends or if it's divine providence, but we seem to have, we're very different in some ways, but at the same time, like there's all these like little things that are like, damn, you guys were meant to be. It seems like all the important things are the same. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The rest is just ego. It's just personality type. Um, our personalities certainly can mesh together, but they're not the same. I would say they work well together. They work well together, but not, I don't think in every context, I don't think it would be, it would work no, well in every no. context. But, I mean, um, but, but I, I mean, I don't think my relationship with my wife works in every context. <laughs> I wouldn't have a podcast with her. That's for certain. 
no offense to her, but <laughs> it's just a different relationship. No, if if every relationship if every relationship looked the same, I mean, why have more than one relationship? I don't. Know. Yeah. Well, you don't have more than one relationship. It's all the same. It's all the same. That's uh, man. Is there any uh, is there any salvation understandings of salvation in Buddhism? Do they do they speak in those sort of terms? I mean, I don't know how. You know, the word trans <laughs> salvation would be translated, but not, only in the sense that you're not in nirvana and then you are in nirvana. I mean, mm. you're saved from not being in, in nirvana. Mm. Um, well, then, yeah. But then, there's, no, there's no concept of eternal conscious torment that I've ever seen. Like, you don't have to, you don't get saved from anything like that. Yeah. Um, so then it becomes. It, be, it comes down to uh, practice then. I mean, it's a it's a practice of becoming more saved. Would that be accurate? Like if the more you meditate, the more you practice, the more. Well, I think the litmus test is how often you're fully engaged in the present moment. Mm. So then it is about becoming more, becoming more enlightened, becoming more. Right. And I think a byproduct of that is obviously. Um, Losing your anxiety, depression, mm. possibly, I don't know. There's still maybe not in this, maybe not yeah. in this life. There's still biologic responses yeah. that seem almost in, uh, inescapable. But I'm no expert in that way, so I don't really know. Um, no, I'm certainly no expert. I don't. <sighs> it seems I would like to think that some sort of when some sort of divine understanding is <laughs> conferred upon you that that effect that would affect your body in some kind of way right but i it's it's almost like how long does it last or um <laughs> do some people have more of a, i mean certainly people have a biologic response that is much different than other people's biological response like someone can have clinical depression that it's going to take um certainly going to take a lot more work to not have that than someone who doesn't. And maybe just the cure hasn't been found yet. Like, maybe psychedelics are a cure. <laughs> they, oh, dude, they, the initial studies seem to suggest that something like psilocybin, magic mushrooms, um, LSD, things like that do have, can work in the clinical setting. And they're actually, uh, I think Oregon might be the first uh, state to decriminalize psilocybin. And I, I believe... Nice. Good job. Yeah, good job, Oregon. Bravo. Um, the uh, Whoever the guy was that created the 12 Steps program for Alcoholics Anonymous initially wanted to use LSD as one of the steps because mm. in a clinical setting, in the right set and setting, um, it can have a positive impact on people who do have you got a mosquito right on your neck get it down low oh you scared it off it does have a positive effect on someone with clinical depression or PTSD things like that I think in the next uh, three to five years we're going to see a big push toward um, psychedelics used in very specific clinical settings which is exciting. I think it's I think it's beyond ridiculous to criminalize people using plants 
It just seems... I mean, from from what I've heard, it's nothing... Psychedelics are nothing to take lightly. Certainly not. I mean... I can, exp- I can ex- speak from experience. <laughs> like, do not take them lightly. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why they're, like, related to a spiritual journey or something like that. Oh, yeah. You listen to, like, Joe Rogan talk about doing, like, ayahuasca or DMT. It's like, holy shit, do not take this lightly. However... In the right context, it certainly seems like a substance that brings healing, brings salvation to people. I mean, the, the, some of the anecdotes I've listened to, like NPR, and I've been following Amber Lyon for a long time. I actually wrote, the first thing I ever got published was on Amber Lyon's website, reset.me. And she was a, a CNN uh, award-winning journalist. And she exposed something that we were doing in uh, fucking, God, what was the country? Bahrain. And we were doing some shit. And some weapons got used, and they were from us. And she was exposing this, and she got some heat. This was back in the day. And uh, at some point, she did, uh, she was on Rogan's podcast talking about how she went to Peru by herself and <laughs> found some shaman and was doing ayahuasca and now her whole like journalistic mission is talking about uh psychedelics mm-hmm. cannabis things like that and how it can be used um to heal people yeah and that was the first article i ever got published was something i wrote on my story about how using cannabis helped me with my my autoimmune disease and um yeah, I mean, Alan uh, Alan Watts, my hero, he wrote an entire book on the joys of psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, really just the... He says that psychedelics give you... I can't remember the exact quote, but it gives you the, the possibility, the space. Mm. Um, it turns parts of your mind off, that, mm. which in turns, turn gives you the ability to... Uh, look at reality in a certain kind of way. Mm. Um, I think that's that's true from my experience. Um, but again, it's not to be taken lightly. Anything like that is not to be taken lightly. But it seems good that we're on the path toward decriminalizing that. That certainly seems absurd. Um, to criminalize, to be an adult and say, no, don't do that, Mr. Adult or Mrs. Adult. <laughs> you have to stop doing that because we say no and we're going to put you in a cage for doing that it's like well especially with something that is eh, essentially harmless i mean if you if you're not stupid about it i mean if you probably don't drive when you're um, well yeah of course there should be like um parameters i mean but the fact that we have as a culture we have uh celebrated things that kill people every year. Lots of people. I mean, we're drinking alcohol right now, and I don't even know how many people die of alcoholism, liver cancer, cirrhosis. Um, And I'm not saying it should be banned. I'm just saying it doesn't, it's not consistent. If you're saying like, oh, we need to, uh, we need to make cannabis illegal or psilocybin illegal because it's harmful. It's like, well, A, no one has died from natural mushrooms or cannabis. I mean, that, no one's died from that. You, you don't take it lightly. There can be negative effects. But we have made legal those things that have huge negative effects. And we almost celebrate it. Like, if you have a party 
and you don't serve alcohol, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with this party? <laughs> like a New Year's party. You're like, hey, I'm having like 20 people over. Come on over. We're going to have dinner. We're going to hang out outside and it's going to be fun. Just, and you have no booze. You don't tell anyone to bring any. It's like, Ugh, what kind of party is this? <laughs> so it's like those things that can be harmful, we, it's part of our whole social uh, norm. And then the fact that there are other things out there that have killed no one that we're like, no, we're going to lock you up for X amount of years because you're doing that. It's like, this isn't land of the free. I mean, no one, no legislator can look themselves in the mirror and be like, this is the land of the free. And then advocate that otherwise peaceful people are criminals because they're doing a certain substance. Like, that's a... This isn't the land of the free. Call it something else. Don't sing those songs. Don't make those slogans. Say it something else. Right. I mean, compared to Amsterdam, you can't really say that. It, no, it's not free in that. No. It's not free in that. It's free in other ways. Maybe you're free to do X, Y, and Z, but you're not free to do uh, MNOP. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying like um, prostitution is a healthy thing. I, I think for the most part, it's probably an unhealthy thing. I, I, I'm not going to say it should be illegal, though. And in Amsterdam, you can have marijuana, you can have prostitution. I mean, it's freer if two consenting people want to pay for s sexual services. I would say it's more free to allow them to do that than to say, oh, we're going to lock you in a cage for doing it, whether it's moral or immoral or anything like that. That should be beside the point when it comes to freedom. As long as you're not like infringing on the freedom of someone else, but we're in a we're in a weird country where freedom means something very uh, it, it means something relative or nuanced or something. It's not freedom as such. No, but I would still say that we're freer than a lot of other countries. Sure, sure. I would just say let's not rest on yeah. our laurels. Right, um, right when. Uh, if the bar is really low, like, don't be like, oh, we just got over it and be like, oh, we're good. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't rest there. Especially when, what, 1% of your population is locked up? Oh, I think it's more than that. Is it 10%? Yeah. We don't, I mean, no, I don't know if it's 10%. If we had a tech guy, we would, uh. But it's the high, highest percentage of all. I think it, yeah. All countries. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I know that for sure. It's so, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Land of the free, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're trying to be ironic, I suppose, but... Uh, <laughs> Jim Jeffries has quite a bit to say about that. Oh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. He's a funny dude. That's one of those comedians. He's not for everyone. <laughs> no, but he is in my top three. <laughs> yeah. He got famous, uh, really popular with the gun, the gun control bit, right? Yeah, that's what launched. His, that's uh, what kind of launched his um, his career, I guess. Uh, Not, yeah, I mean, he had a yeah, his celebrity status, but um, it's been a while since that, right? That's been well, what five, seven, years? at least something like that, something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a funny thing. It's a funny thing to talk about all these things and get people's different perspectives. I just wish more people thought about things. I wish more people could think in this way. Like we're not very nuanced as human beings. We, we get, we get in our animal mind more often than not. I think it's weird that people don't 
think like, uh, let's say you and I do, or me and my dad. I mean, uh, philosophically. Yeah, philosophically. They would discredit philosophy. Some people would. Some people. But then there's some people that um, don't really care to think in that way. And I would say there's no reason that you should have to think philosophically, but then probably don't give too many opinions on the subject at least yeah but no there's no reason why you have to think um in these types of terms no no i wouldn't think you have to i just i'm just genuinely shocked that people aren't interested about talking about hell in this kind of way yeah hell salvation yeah yeah any of that stuff i mean if you're a christian it seems like you'd be eating all this stuff up do people really believe in hell though most people don't act like it. I don't. They don't act like it. I don't see a whole I lot of people know. evangelizing on the streets. I mean, that's been one of my biggest things. Is like the people who seemed most concerned about my slippery slope, my backsliding. <laughs> like it's just like almost like see ya. <laughs> it's like okay, I know I could be a bit of a dick and I could be a lot, but you're just. It seems like you're a little too quick to be willing to have me go to hell. <laughs> like, either you don't think much of me or you don't really believe Well, it seems it. Like, very convenient. Uh, yeah, it, it does. If I really, be- when I really believed in it, like it certainly affected me and it was, I don't know, it was, um, I guess I didn't evangelize because I was too selfish and I worried about myself going there. But the people that seem pretty secure about their salvation don't seem to be doing too much to help others be saved. I mean... Right. I, I'm not comfortable speaking either way on that. No, I uh, I don't want to judge anyone's actions. I, I, It just seems like if someone... Like some of the people, they you know, they, they know people who are not saved or they have family who are not Christians or whatever. And it's like, aren't you concerned? Like, nah. <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> like, this is... It would, it would just be too uncomfortable to talk about it. So maybe that's it too. Maybe that's it too. Maybe it's eating them up inside, and they don't. They put on a brave face. Well, actually, I mean, I was saying that sarcastically because oh. if if you honestly believe that somebody was going to hell, I mean, who cares how uncomfortable it is? Like, yeah, sure. you should get over that. This is hell we're talking. It's a big deal. <laughs> that I mean, that's what I was led to believe. Uh, Maybe maybe hell isn't that bad. Maybe it isn't. It's where all the uh, good rock and roll bands will be. <laughs> At least there'll be some good music down there. <clears throat> I don't see a ton of great music up in heaven, but maybe those, no. that chalk that up to my personal tastes. But uh, <laughs> all the cool people seem in hell. I kid. If you believe in hell, that's probably gonna. Do you think anyone listening to the show believes in hell? It's gonna be a pretty no. small percentage. No. You can't really stumble across this one. I don't think so. I don't know if ever. Not everyone's going to be a universalist, but the most of the people, all the people, even that I engage with on Facebook or who read me, um, listen to the podcasts and all that stuff. Like sometimes they'll say something like, "Well, I'm not a universalist, but I'm hopeful or I'm sympathetic to that idea." I think most people, at least. They're not going to be like, you're a heretic, you need a lot. And they're not going to be one of those people, you know. So even if someone's not a universalist, or uh, they're not going to be offended by universalism as such, you know. No, I kind of want to say that if they were completely consistent that they would, though. 
Well, it's always funny that I hear people say, I'm not a universalist, dot, 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 yet. And it's like, I hear a lot of people saying that. I know multiple people who have said that. I'm not a universalist yet. It's like, so, <laughs> when you're saying yet, that just okay. means you haven't followed your argument to its natural conclusion. Exactly. You're just not there yet. You're just not there yet. I'm done, but you're yeah. not. So, don't judge me. Right. You're the one that needs work. Right. <laughs> if I'm driving to your house and you're like, Matt, where are you? And I'm like, I'm not there yet. It means I'm on my way. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's assumed that I'm not just going to turn around and be like, ah, fuck you. I'm not showing up. <laughs> eh, you'll wait for me and you'll be like, Matt, do you ever show up? <laughs> nope. Decided not to go. Well, you said I'm not there yet. Like, this is implied. <laughs> if nothing else, we need to work on our communication. Here. <laughs> right. This is, it means, it means it makes the most sense. You're just holding back. Something's making you afraid. So you haven't answered some. Yeah. Bible verse or some, yeah, yeah. some of this or that. Whatever the story is. Yeah. But anytime we use yet, it means well, I we're think, on our way. Well, I think when people say yet, it's that they haven't yet realized how absurd eternal conscious torment is. Maybe. But there's a lot of, there's some annihilationists, I think, who would say that. I think my boy, uh, Benjamin Corey, he was the, um, He's written a couple of books. He's a PhD from Fuller. He was the uh, the general editor for the Pathos channel I wrote on, and he said that in a um, and I busted his chops. I think I busted his chops on the Heretic Cafe Hour. I sent him a message, and he wrote something about universalism. I think he even quoted me or referenced one of something I wrote. He said, "I'm not a universalist yet," and I was just like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> yeah, and he he kind of like you know had this. I forget what what his answer was, but I was poking them a little bit because i just think it's um and he's i think he's an annihilationist or sort of on the on the fence between universalism and annihilationism um but it was just one of those funny things it's like i'm not in any context it's like matt how's your working out going well i'm doing good but i'm not to where i want to be yet it's like okay we're well, gonna you're gonna keep going then right <laughs> you're not just gonna quit like in all these contexts like yeah. Are you done with your book? No, I haven't finished it yet. Well, that means that you haven't thrown the manuscript away. Like, you're still writing. I'm not, are you a universalist? I'm not there yet. That means... Okay, what, how can I help you become one? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. How do we speed this... What's holding you how up? How do we speed this up? Let's like, speed this process along. It's very liberating. Maybe that's where you, were, you would be right. I think you said, I'm an evangelist. Or I'm, a, I'm an evangelical. <laughs> right a couple and, podcasts ago and i was like oh, don't go that far but in in a certain sense i'm like yeah I, I think it's healthy to be a universalist in some way it it has been for me so yeah i'm gonna teach that or no i mean uh, yeah sorry not to undersell it or anything but no uh universalism is core to uh, it's my very essence. I mean, uh, it's if I'm not a universalist, then what am I? Well, you're still Mike, still human, <laughs> but it's um, well, it's salvific in a way. I mean, it's salvific because well, my universalism is that grace saves. Like you're good. It has nothing to do with what you've done, and that's salvific. I mean, I'm not a universalist because I said the right thing. And everyone might eventually say the right thing. Maybe that'll happen. But I'm more of a universalist because I trust that 
God accomplishes what God wants to do, which is always good and always loving, always reconciliatory. And so if I'm saved, everyone has to be saved. Right. I mean, I, I, I certainly couldn't ever think I'm made whole or healed or saved without everyone being saved because that to me seems like, what have I done to do that? Nothing. So, yeah, uh, I, I actually meant more psychologically, like, I need it. I need universalism to function psych- <laughs> to be a, in a psychologically yeah. healthy way. <laughs> no, I agree. I um, agree. I need to have some sort of assurance that I'm not gonna be obliterated. Like, right? If I if I knew that there's a good chance I could just not exist anymore or just be uh, burning alive forever, um, I, I would stress out. I would get cancer. I would. I would think you you're your body would have a lot of cortisol, a lot of, uh, all the uh, time. A lot of inflammation, yeah. A lot of inflammation. Diarrhea yeah. every day. So much yeah. shitting yourself in, <laughs> which I still, I still get that, you know, I still have a disease, but it's not because of that. It's like, definitely, I mean, manageable. It's manageable. Yeah. yeah. I have my Whereas body. without that, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's fucking horrible, man. It's terrible. I mean, I still have anxiety. I still have depression. I still have things that, but I don't have, it's been a while since I've had an existential crisis. And yeah, same here. And when I was wrapped up in the evangelical world, the mainline Christian world, I had a lot of them. I was in like a perpetual existential crisis. I mean, it was terrible, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) To quote Charles Barkley, right? Terrible. Um, Or a, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. <laughs> That's right. That's terrible. Uh, but I have, it's been a while since I had one of those. Uh, right. It's been, I it's mean, been, yeah, it's been a hot minute. At least ever years, since Rob Bell's book came out. Oh, thank God bless you, Rob Bell. The wolf in sheep's clothing himself. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Thank you. Yeah. I doubt he's listening. I still want to get him on the Heretic Happy Hour. We haven't gotten him yet. But have you tried? Uh, I think Keith might have reached out to his people. Yeah, I mean, he has people. Maybe we're close. I don't know. Maybe when you get to 100 episodes. Maybe. We're almost at 50. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that's been going around since uh, 2017. It's been almost two years. But it's every two weeks. I mean, yeah. it seems to be going pretty quick. But Yeah. It's fun. That's a fun show. I'm surprised at how it blew up. Like, I can't believe how many downloads we've had. Shit. It's like 120,000 now. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, not to blow smoke up, up your ass, but yeah. I, I'm not surprised. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's one of those things, man. Sometimes you just stumble upon things that people happen to like. It's one of those things about being a creator, man, of content. You haven't. You can have an idea of what might sell or what might be interesting, but you never really know. Like, I'm pretty confident some people will listen to this show and, and enjoy it. If it, like, blew up, I wouldn't be too surprised. And if no one listened, I'd be kind of a little surprised. Or if, But I wouldn't be that. You know, it's kind of like, it's hit or miss. I never know what article is going to take off or what is not going to take off. So that just means you got to do what you love. You, you just got to do it. You yep. can't care what other people. No, you can't. No. It's a weird thing. Some of the Some of the things that I thought. Some of the things that I wrote in like an hour and published, it's just been like, took off. Some of the things I've grinded through never amount to anything. It, it, you know, or not yet. 
or not yet, maybe when I'm dead, someone looked back and be like, this was genius. <laughs> like, yeah, well, no one gave a shit 40 years ago when like, I was alive. That does me, yeah. <laughs> right. Whatever. Who cares? You never know. But a part of salvation is getting rid of that ego, man. You got to get rid of that ego. You do what you love, and if people love it, great. If people don't, keep doing what you love. Yeah, just keep on doing it. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard when you got the day-to-day you got the nine-to-five you got all that shit but yeah unfortunately that's the artist's life it is the artist's life you have to put in extra time it's it's definitely extra i'm i'm still working like 20 hours a week that's just working working yeah like actual actual work yeah so i'm probably working 50 to 60 hours a week you know in in terms of writing or researching or podcasting or whatever which is fine. A lot of people work that. A lot of people work more. But when you love something, it doesn't feel like work. Like I'd be, yeah. I'd be here doing this shit. You know, we've been doing, like you said, or we've said, we'd be bonfiring no matter what. So if people listen, great. If it helps people, great. But doesn't. really, I think we should get paid for that. It'd be cool. It'd yeah. be nice. Yeah. So shout out to the people who do <laughs> help us get a little bit of scratch. Yes. And if you do want to help out, patreon.com slash the bonfire sessions. And, uh, yeah. If you don't want to, that's cool too. No hard feelings. No, it's half of the equation. I'd like you to listen in and, uh, subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you don't, just listen. If you don't like it, that's cool too. That's the, that's the beauty of, um, art, music, podcasts, books. There's so much out there in this day and age. Like, there is so much content compared to back in the day. I mean, there's like, everyone's got a podcast. A lot of people have written books, which is cool. On on one hand, it's like, oh, you've been published? Oh, well, good for you. Everyone has. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's like, well, that's good. That's, um, means you really have no excuse to learn about your history, to learn about, um, you know, it's one of my biggest beefs in Christianity is they don't even know their own history. Like everything's out there. You can learn like when someone has the visceral response that, uh, this is just one example. Universalism is heresy. It's like, well, you can read history. It's, it's actually not first of all. And the type of universalism that's heresy was heresy in like the sixth century. So it took them 600 years to be like, no, that's wrong. Like, okay, so know your history. I, I love how uh, Mark Driscoll <laughs> said, he blocked me for this because I called him out in an article. He was like, for 2,000 years, universalism has been heresy. And I was like, that's just, you could just go on the internet and find out that's not true. not true. It's, it's like, come on, we all have Google. You can reach it. It's just not true. It might not be right. I'm not saying it's universalism is right because there were universalists in the early church. But I'm just saying, you can't say that it's been heresy for 2000. That's just, that's just a historical untruth. There's a, with as much content as there is out there, there's no reason not to know things. If you really want to know them. Yeah. But unfortunately there's people that will take his word as gospel. That's just, yeah. You know, 
not go to Snopes or something like that. <laughs> Can you Snopes that shit? <laughs> yeah. I think that's the difference between you've said that you're not an intellectual. I think you said it in a book that's coming out next year. You don't consider oh, yourself right. an intellectual. Right. But there's a difference between someone who's not an intellectual and someone who's anti-intellect. And it seems like in the church, like there's this almost like demonization of intellectualism. Well, it's like if if you know something intellectually, then uh, where does faith come in? Is that maybe the root cause? Maybe, yeah. Or you're 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 um, you're relying on your mind rather than your heart, or your spirit, or Jesus, or Jesus. And it's like, no, I think Jesus was way more... Um, Jesus was, was probably pretty smart. I think pretty smart. I think he knew his scriptures, and he knew them well enough to be creative when he approached them. Yeah. That's why I think he could he could lay the smack down on people who were really smart also. Like, the Pharisees were really smart. The chief priests and the scribes, they were all really smart. That's all they did was study Torah. Like, they knew... They knew Torah. They could quote back and forth with someone like Jesus. But I think that's where he was so wise and so, like, crafty and creative that he could... It wasn't that he was anti-intellectual. I just think he was... It was intellectualism and then something else, too. So it's not, you know... It does, you don't have to be an intellectual. No. But you shouldn't shit on intellectualism. No, I mean intellectual being intellectual has a has its place but that shouldn't be the your only guiding star i mean you should also uh fly just flew into my whiskey intellectual that's a tragedy <sighs> such a tragedy intellectualism is not like juxtaposed against other things experience or it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be the only thing that informs your decisions um, but that doesn't mean you should reject it out now. Right. Right. A lot of people have a hard time with that. They have a hard time with that. I think a lot of people would call me like a really smart dude and then be like, well, I disagree with you. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But at least understand that I know what I'm talking about. Like at least have a discussion. Don't be afraid. If someone's a universalist or someone doesn't have the same doctrinal beliefs as you, don't be afraid to talk about things with them. I think a lot of people are afraid to, um, explore things to talk about um, different ideas different approaches we like to stay in our tribes we like to hear the pastor tell us what we already kind of believe yeah but i mean why isn't it isn't it always ultimately because you because if it's always because of fear it could come back to fear but fear ultimately of what i mean well fear of going to hell I think a lot of people sort of have that. I mean, fear of rejection too. Fear of rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your church community could reject you because of what you believe. You could be the greatest person. You could be a great dad, great husband, great at your job, giving, empathetic, peaceful. Um, but it might come down to, well, if you don't agree with the same conclusions, you could be ostracized. This is a big deal. Um, which is a shame. I think there could, there's a lot of really, uh, there's a lot of great people in the church. I just feel like a lot of them are operating from a place of fear and maybe even fear that if they go down this path, this slippery slope, that 
they'll be rejected themselves or, you know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a big, it's a fear is a big thing. And I, I don't think we realize how much fear we have when we're operating from a place of fear. It's not until we step back, we might get on the other side. Um, and you look back and you're like, wow, I was coming from a place of pure fear. Well, I mean, I'm told that the antidote is perfect love. So. That's what the Bible clearly says. <laughs> perfect love casts out fear, right? And you only you only get that through experience. So I mm-hmm. think I think it takes uh, some sort of divine inter- intervention or something. Uh, you have to have some sort of experience where I think I think that's true. Where you understand that uh, God exists and that God is love. And God is love. You experience love, you experience God, and when you experience that your fear has been vanquished, like okay, that's divine. So if you if you're operating from a place of fear, I don't know. That's not an experience of God. I don't think. If God is love, and I would only just pray that you have that. Um, I don't think that that's something that you ever get to intellectually. That's where I would say my. Um, even my universalism, even though it's intellectual to some extent, it's almost more transcends the intellectual. Like you experience yeah. the value of every human being or you experience the value of every living sentient being or just, you know, you experience that love. You experience the fact that love transcends the words and the concepts that we can describe it. The concepts and, and and the doctrines could explain what we say is universalism, but my experience of life kind of, it's more of a personal knowledge that I have that you can't explain to someone very eloquently, I don't think, but that's, maybe that's the limitation of linguistics <clears throat> or concepts. Right. Words, and ultimately, doctrines. you're not, you're not ever gonna, the point is not to experience life you know, through an argument, um, no. words, you know, it's always, as the Buddhists say, to experience life non-conceptually, just to experience a moment without labeling whether it's good or bad. <laughs> That's our default though. Is <laughs> it good, is it bad? That's the default. Right. And isn't it interesting that, you know, the first part of Genesis, uh, I mean, the fall of man was when they was when we decided to eat from the knowledge of mm-hmm. the fruit of good and evil to yeah. know what it to know the concept of good of and good evil. and evil yeah yeah it's pretty profound that I think that that might be it right there yeah uh, that's pretty profound that's why I mean so you would say the Bible's inspired I would but well, along, there you have it alongside others <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean other scriptures aren't yeah. Yeah. I just wouldn't take it as far as some people do, but maybe that's a different uh episode. Yeah. I'm ready to uh I'm ready to call it a night. Yeah. I'm ready to chill. Yeah, let's relax. Maybe sip on a little more of this whiskey and uh check the sh- the score in the Sharks game and hopefully my heart isn't being broken as we speak. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Come on, you sharks, I swear. And, uh, yes, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. For those who support us on Patreon, thank you. If you want to support us and keep the show going, 
and also get your hands on on location episodes like Potato Patch and upcoming uh, Gold Bluff Beach, right? Mm-hmm. And many others. Mm-hmm. We've got plans for many others. Make sure you subscribe on there. And uh, one other thing we're doing for $10 subscribers is we're writing a book, as we've said, and you'll have early access to that. We'll drop a, uh, a PDF in there so you can get that for free. So, if yeah, thank you. And um, as always, go about the world being kind to one another and not being a penis. <laughs> yeah, just don't be mean. Don't, don't be mean. Be, mean. Yeah. be kind to one another. You don't know what other people are going through and the shit that they're dealing with. So, uh, yeah. 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 Amen. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Peace and love. We'll see you next time. Night, night.